Good morning, and welcome to National Capital. I'd like to do something a little different, being that it's Mother's Day. Can I have all the moms stand up, please? Rick, that doesn't count. We just wanted to recognize you and say we appreciate you all, and thank you for your love for God, first and foremost, and your love for the family. And I know that's not always easy, but we are proud of you all. And for that, our call to worship is going to be taken from Luke chapter 10 this morning, hoping that this would be a source of encouragement for the moms. So Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 38, Luke chapter 10, 38, and we're going to look at a few verses here and see what Jesus said to the ladies. Luke 10, 38 says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted. Moms, please listen to this. Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed And Mary has chosen that good part. What did Mary choose? Listen to the word. She was at the feet of Christ. The one thing is needed and which will not be taken away. Verse 42 from her. Now it may not sound like a big deal, but would you drop your eyes to Matthew 10 looking at verse 1. And maybe, Bill, could you read Matthew 10, 1? How many? Verse verse 1? Math, uh, Luke 10? Oh, I'm sorry. Luke ten one. Now after this the Lord appointed seventy others and sent them in the heirs of heaven to every city and place How many? Seven. Okay, so seventy men. And then in Luke ten uh, seventeen. Marty, can you read that please? So how many men were there? So now drop your eyes to verse 38. This is observing the text. And now it happened that they, how many? Seventy. They went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So you have 70 men along with Jesus Christ packed in this one house. Can you see why she's a little distraught and stressed out? You ever notice that? So she gets frustrated and and commands Jesus, second person of the Trinity, tell her to get off her butt. She's just sitting down, listening to you. Moms, have you ever, ever felt like that? But notice her his answer to Martha. He says in verse 41, Martha, Martha, moms, moms, you are worried and troubled about many things. 
But one thing is what? Needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So moms, I realize some of you may have what's called an empty nest these days. But I am confident that you still think about your children, even though they may be many miles away. You care for them just the same. You pray for them, I'm sure. Maybe some of you help them out monetarily, prayerfully. And that's okay. That's a loving mom. But just please remember the one thing that is needed amidst it all is to listen to Christ so that it will help stabilize the many distractions as found in verse 40. Martha was only doing the right thing. She was being a good hostess. Verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with much serving. You see that? And she, and she realized amidst the serving, she felt like Jesus wasn't there for her. Tell her to help me. She's just sitting down doing nothing. And yet, when you contrast, you look at how he contrasted serving him versus listening to him, it seems like to me he prioritized the listening. Just listening to him was more important than serving him. So we can look at that as even in the context of church. Even in a church context, listening to his word is much more important than serving Jesus Christ. Now that's not to say that you can't serve him, but as far as the order of operation, the priority is listening to Christ first before even serving him. It seems like that's his preference, that his that is his order. So now having shared that for the moms, we have the opportunity for spiritual preparation. So now let's take a moment of silence and utilize 1 John 1.9, which says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This allows us to be relaxed, to come back from a grueling week, and to reorient to church, to God's word, to the church family, and most of all, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just take a moment of silence and confess any known sins, and then I will open with prayer with our heads bowed. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity for us to assemble together once again in the National Capital Bible Church so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for hearing us, and we ask these things through Christ's matchless name. Amen. As you know, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. There you have it, the simplicity of the gospel in a nutshell. Those verses will allow a person to pass from death into life by simply believing in Christ for it. And as you know, my objective this morning is to push through phase two salvation or what we've been calling discipleship. And my objective will be to tie the bookends this morning, which is verses two and four from the book of James. And we're going to also look at a passage from First Peter. He's looking at the same thing, the trials of life, from a slightly different perspective. So that's the aim this morning. So we're going to look at a few more things in James, just reviewing some things from James, but then pushing through, and then I think today we'll conclude our study from portions of James. We're not going through the entire book, but
but we are looking at discipleship as found in the book of James. So having said that, I'm going to take us through. <clears throat> Here's some points of observations by way of summary. You should know this. First of all, trials have a, serve a purpose and can determine whether you overcome your challenges or whether they overcome you. What do I mean by that? It is very important to be aware of the fact that that's just part of life. You're going to get hit with trials no matter what. We're living in a broken world, and as such, we can expect problems. That's what James tells us. Count it all joy, right? So knowing that trials serve a purpose can help soften the blow when we go through the hardships or the trials. Secondly, various trials have occurred and will continue to occur. So we can't escape that. It's bound to happen. If it, just give it enough time and you'll get hit with a problem, whether it's a financial problem, a relational problem, familial problem, and the rest. And why should a believer count their trials as all joy? Well, I'm going to answer um, Laura's question from last week. We're going to look at verse 5 today, and it's going to tell us why we can or how to deal with the problem of trials. God gives a solution. But the bookends will kind of frame them together. The bookends tell us to count it all joy, whereas verse 3 tells us why we can count it all joy. And what happens when we can't? Maybe you're here today, you don't know how to count it all joy. This just seems like it's too difficult to do. Well, James tells us how, and we're going to look at that this morning. So remember, these trials have a purpose in the plan of God. Trials are given to test our faith. We find this in verse 3. The reason for trials is to boost our endurance. We find that also in verse 3. To boost our endurance, to build character, to build spiritual muscle. And of course, I'd mentioned that trials move us to what? Spiritual maturity. We can't grow apart from trials and problems. That's part of the process, unfortunately. You find this in verse 3, of course. So now, verse 2. Remember, James said, when you get hit with all sorts of trials, be joyful. And that's what is the big bugaboo right here. How do we count it all joy when you fall into various trials? We can be joyful because the trials are a primary means he uses to make us more like Christ. So what? I don't want to be more like Christ, right? I'm not in the mood to be more like Christ. That seems to be the attitude from many Christians today. Various trials have occurred and will continue to occur based on the word various. And why should a believer count their trials as all joy? Because these trials have a purpose. The pog. The pog is the plan or the purpose of God. The plan of God. Then, of course, we saw this in the summary there. They're given to test our faith. Trials fortify our patience. We saw that in the previous slide. We also saw that trials advance us to spiritual maturity. Now, let's look at verse 4. The word let on the top left describes our duty in the middle of the testing. We are to let it patience have its perfect work. It is the second command. What's the first command in James? Consider or count it all joy. This is the second command. Let patience have its perfect work. So we're commanded to let it happen. Don't resist. Let it happen. So the fact that it's telling us to let patience have its perfect work implies that it is possible to get in the way. And to not let it happen. We can throw our hands up like Martha and say, help me out. Why are you letting this happen? And throw a fit. 
He tells us that we can hinder and get in the way of what God wants to do for us through testing. It shows that we have a vital part in letting testing achieve a successful end. That word perfect comes from the Greek word teleos, and it just means mature. Let it have its mature work, its perfect work means to bring to full end, to come to a mature end. has the sense of having all its parts together. So let patience pull it all together and have its perfect work. There you go, right there on the bottom. So now, verse 5, this is what Laura was asking last week. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. So the word if, the very first word there, is a conditional sentence. It's first class condition. So that means if and it's true. So if any of you all, that word is su, in the plural, you all, if any of you all lack wisdom, and it's, it's implied that the idea here is it's true, if you lack wisdom, ask of God, let him ask of God. So the idea is if you lack wisdom, apparently you do, ask God who will give liberally and without reproach. So the word you there is plural, so it's referring to all of us. And then you have the word lacks right there on the middle. It's blue, lipo, lipo or lipo. Passive, it's a present passive indicative of the Greek verb lipo, not liposuction, but lipo or lipo. If any of you lacks wisdom, here's what we're to do. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. That word reproach is a present active participle of the Greek verb onidizo. Onidizo. So he will not hold you, he will not be upset, he will not rebuke you for asking so many times. So, if we just look at the text, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, the question is, what wisdom? Passing a test? Passing the board? What is he talking about here? Doctrine? Yes. But look at the context. He's saying, if you don't get verses 2 and 3 and 4, then ask me. So if you don't get why we're to count it all joy, remember? Count it all joy, verse 2. If you don't understand why I'm saying to count it all joy, ask of God who gives to all what? Liberally and without reproach. So here's your answer, Laura. God is not saying, I'm going to tell you, Everett, why you're going through hardship. He's not saying, okay, the reason why you're going through this is because A, B, C, D. But he is saying, if you lack the wisdom and you don't understand why you can and you should count it all joy, well, come to me. Come ask me in wisdom. I will give you, if you lack wisdom in this context, I've just told you why you can count it all joy, because it's for your own edification, it's for your own good. If you don't get it, come to me. Talk to me. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Does that make better sense now? He's saying, look, Bill, I know you're going through hardship, but you know what? Talk to me about it. If you don't understand how you can count it all joy amidst your dilemma, come talk to me. And I will answer you, and I will give you an answer in a way that will line up with my word. The reason why you can count it all joy and that you can look at this as a, as a way of growing, is because of this. He's not going to audibly put it in Bill's head, but he will give Bill a sense, whether it's through other believers in Christ or through the Word of God as he's exposing himself to doctrine. As, he looking, as he's looking into the Word, 
What? But what's the pre- prerequisite though? What does Bill have to do? Ask. He has to ask. See, this is where we usually drop the ball. Oh, why is this going on? Right? We, we throw our hands up. We say, I don't get this. Why in the world am I going through this hardship? When I serve God, when I go to church, I even give money to the church. Right? We say these things, but James tells us, look, if you don't understand two through four, the bookends, two, three, and four, the bookends, count it all joy. Why? Because it's for your own good. It's producing in you more endurance, more patience. He says, ask me. Go to me. Let him ask of God. How many times do we honestly go to God when we're going through hardship? Do you ever go to God in hardship? But there's also another stipulation though. Anyone catch that? Or do I need to advance to the next slide? Look what it says. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Let me tie up verse 5 first of all. here's uh, some things to point out. So we saw the doctrine of trials from 2 to 5. Okay, 2 to 5 is really the doctrine of trials. 2 to 5 solidifies the teaching of trials in the life of a believer. So verse 2 and 4 form what I call the bookends. Verse 2 talks about the trials. What to do amidst the various trials. What were we told to do? Count it all joy. That's the hardest part, right? Count it all joy. And what is the objective of the trials? We find that in verse 4. What's the objective? Endurance, perfect results. Verse 4. So, what do you do if you can't count it all joy? Verse 5. Ask. We're going to see what else is involved. Pray for wisdom to C-I-A-J. Count it all joy. And secondly, expect God to answer you. That's part of asking in faith. We're going to see that in verse 6. Because it flows from verse 5. Expect God to answer you. Because we're going to see in verse 6 again why that's important. God has promised to give us wisdom as far as understanding how to deal with verse 2. Count it all joy. How in the world do I count it all joy? Well, we can count it all joy because God said it's doing me good. It's producing in me endurance, patience. Do I need more patience and endurance? Probably. Does it, can it do us any good? Yes. Because those are Christ-like character traits. And if we don't get it, what are we told to do? Count it all joy and to ask of God. Let him ask God if any of you lacks wisdom in this context, you don't understand how it's benefiting you, ask of God. Ask God. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without approach. And what will happen? It will be It'll be given. This is why if we're going through a dilemma, we have to ask God. But notice verse 6. So number three on the bottom of this uh, notes here, God has promised to give us wisdom and we're to ask God for the ability, this is very important, listen to this, we're to ask God for the ability to look at tests as we should. That's the wisdom. God help me see these tests as we should. He's not going to tell you, Freddie, the reason why you're going through this is because I said so. No, he said it's for your own good. And if you don't get that, ask me. Come to me and ask me and I will give you all the wisdom you need to understand it so you can look at the test the way that I had designed it to be. So to look at the test as we should and God will give generously that ability. However, we're also told, verse 6, Let him ask in faith. Please notice. With no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven, tossed, and tossed by the wind. 
So let him ask in faith. The faith goes back to the request made in verse 5. Let him ask for the wisdom. Let him ask God who gives liberally. So the request made in verse 5. God is cordial and giving and does not reprimand our prayers, but on the other hand, he will not be called a fraud. What do I mean by that? Which is the absence of faith. That's what absence of faith does. If you don't trust him, if you don't believe Verse 6 is the connection here. Let him ask in faith. So if you're going to ask God for clarity, ask in confidence. Don't doubt him. We can always say, oh yeah, I don't doubt God, but the truth is, sometimes we do. We're not sure he's going to help us see the trials the way that he would want us to see it. We're told that those are eventually going to pray to God is supposed to ask in faith with no what? No doubting. Expecting Him to answer. No doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So if you're going to ask God, if you're going to talk to God, make sure it's anchored in faith because a person who is not asking in faith and is doubting, verse 6, is a person like a wave and the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You're going back and forth. What's that signify? No stability. Tossed to and fro. Your prayers are not going to be answered that way. Could that be the reason why we're not getting answers during those counted all joy moments? We have to ask in faith. Not, well, God, you know, I really hope you'll answer me. I've been good this week. I first John 1 9 this morning. That's not asking in faith. It's a confidence in him that he's going to give you a peace so that you can say, look, I'm going through hardship right now. This is tough. I don't even want to share it with anybody. It's so personal. But you know what? I learned this morning to count it all joy. Why? Because this is doing me some good. It's building in me endurance and patience. I really don't care for that, Lord. But I do see that you're doing a work in me and this is moving me into a more closer to the likeness of Christ. And as such, I'm going to ask you in faith to help me align my perspective with your perspective as found in 2 through 4. Yes, Everett. Right. Yeah. That's right. You do have to know the mechanics of it. That's why studying the Word of God is vital. You can't just... Because what's the average, average Christian going to do? Lord, help me. Didn't you not say you will cause all things to work together for good? Right? They'll pull a promise or two and say, Did you not say this? Though that's true, contextually, that is speaking about something completely different. Verses 1 through 6 here is talking about a trial that you and I are going through. And he wants us to align our will with his. And what's his will? To count it all joy. How in the world will I count it all joy? Well, because I know from verses 3 on that it is for my own good. It's making me more like Christ. Well, I don't want to be more like Christ. Well, can I at least see that God is doing something in my life? That he's moving me into the direction of Christ-likeness? Yes, I do see that. Well, if we don't like that, if we need wisdom in that, let him ask of God. And he will give to all liberally. He's not going to hold it back. He's not going to say, Freddie, you keep praying to me. You keep first johnning and now you're asking me for wisdom? Just study the word. No, he's not going to say that. He's going to give. But I have let Freddie ask in what? Faith. We have to ask in faith with no doubting. He won't answer the doubting part. Why? Because on the one hand, you're saying, I love you, I trust you, God. But on the other hand, you're doubting him. Which is it? You now have a tug of war between human viewpoint and divine viewpoint. It's the difference between the two. What does divine viewpoint say? Count it all joy. 
Well, that goes against, against the grain of nature, human nature, right? But divine nature says, divine perspective says, count it all joy. What are your friends going to say? Where's God, Everett? Your, your immature Christian friends, if you have any. They might say, well, where's God? Or your unbelieving friends. Where's your Lord? Where's your God now? Count it all joy, he says. Well, yeah, right, whatever. I just say, chuck it. That's why I'm not a Christian, man. Because he's not even answering your prayers. Well, in, in the privacy of your soul, Everett, the Word of God says to count it all joy because he's doing something in your life. Nobody else might, nobody else will understand. But if he's anchoring your soul in his promise that he will answer you, your objective is to ask in faith. Say, Lord, you know what? Things are happening in my family life. Things are happening in home. I don't understand what's going on, but somehow this is allowing me to trust you. I can count it all joy because I'm, you're not absent. You're speaking to me through your word. You said to count it all joy. And you know, although that seems hard and difficult at this moment, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to step out in faith and ask you without doubting you, even though my own family is laughing and ridiculing me, just like Job, I'm not going to doubt you because I believe you're going to help me understand how to count it all joy. Everybody else is laughing because I, I'm giving the word count it all joy because it says so in the word. Well, that's because Everett's perspective is now aligned with Bible doctrine, God's perspective, divine viewpoint. Everybody else does not see it that way because it depends on their spiritual maturity. Is that not true? It's not easy to count it all joy. Let's be honest. Not everybody's going to be able to count it all joy. And that's not to say, once you get hit with it, you get your doctor's note and says, oh, it's positive, Freddie. <laughs> oh, it's positive? Great. He's not talking about laughing it off. He's saying, consider it a privilege that you know that in spite of what you're going through, I'm working amidst it all. I'm moving and working in your life, Freddie. You can consider it all joy because I have my hand on your life. I'm working things out. If you don't, if you don't understand this, ask in wisdom. Call on to me. Come to me and ask. If any man lacks wisdom, call me. Talk to me. Isn't that what the scripture says? But it's stipulated by let him ask in faith without doubting. That's where we usually drop the ball because we hear all the input from everybody else. Debbie said this. Hal said this. Hey, what did God say? Don't get tossed to and fro by what others say, even if they're Christians, because they may not know what God is doing particularly in your life. So rest in that, that you can count it all joy because he promised to work amidst you. He's working in your life. What does it say? What's verse 3 say? Anyone? Knowing. There's that participle again. Knowing. That's the idea of being persuaded and without, without doubt. Knowing what? The testing of Everett's faith is producing what? So in the end, Everett, your endurance and your patience is going to be spiritually strong. Look, how many of you have, Brian, have you, have you done sit-ups before? Too many sit-ups. Okay. So sometimes we do it because we want to look good. We want that uh, rock, rock solid ab, right? Six pack. Or sometimes it's just to lose weight. But the truth is, does it not hurt? Doesn't, don't you feel a little sore in the end? Maybe not Brian. But if you do the exercises, usually it's going to hurt in the end if you worked your muscles out. We expect it to hurt. And we don't mind it because we know that it's working. Our regime is working. It's producing in us strength. And that's the point. So when we know that it's producing in us endurance or patience, we should be able to say, Lord, I don't like this at the moment. It hurts. It's sore. But in the end, is it good for you? Yes. What is it producing? 
endurance, patience, stick-to-itiveness, so that the next time around, can Everett hang with the second and third one? Yes. Why? Because he learned that God's got this. God doesn't have problem trusting himself. We do. He's perfect. But it's us that needs the reminder. And the only way we will know is if we have these moments with God to, to see Him work in our lives and our will is to adopt the divine will, the divine perspective, as we study His Word. The purpose for studying His Word is to adopt the mind of Christ, correct? And when we do, we look at the trials from a divine perspective. Everybody else will say, where's God? We are to look at it and say, count it all joy. His word said so. And because it's an imperative, we don't even have an option. We're commanded. So who are we to wrestle with God? This is why phase two, why we may not be experiencing his empowerment, his feeling, his leading, is because we're failing in certain areas that we didn't know we were failing in. So you're throwing hands up, Lord, you know, things are happening right now. Where are you? We're supposed to count it all joy. And then if we didn't know we're failing and violating James 1, guess what we have to do? Rebound. How many of you have gone through something just this week without counting it all joy? You're supposed to count it all joy. You know that? Anybody want to take a moment of silence and rebound? (laughs) Give me a moment. I think I need it. But that's the point. That's the whole reason why we're studying this stuff. And I think in phase two, in order for us to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding, we have to close all the gaps and make sure there's nothing, no loose ends that are not tied. And so we're supposed to ask in faith with no doubting. Okay? James 1.6. And now, okay, I just commented on that. I want us to look at 1 Peter 1, verse 6. This is Peter's perspective on trials. So if you're going through any trials, this is Peter's perspective. James looks at it and says, Everett, you know what? Hang in there because it's doing you good. It's conforming you into the likeness of Christ and it's Doing your endurance and patience some good. Count it all joy, Everett. Peter has a different perspective in the trials. Please notice the following. First Peter 1.6 In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by what? There's the same lingo. Various trials. Okay, you're going through trials... And if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. But in this greatly rejoice. What is in this referring to? Well, that means we have to go back and find out what the context is. In this is an expression used several times in this book. And it links to the content of verses 3 through 5. So I'm going to post it there in just a moment. The rejoicing of verse 6 rests on the spiritual possessions of 3 to 5, which we'll see. And this word, you greatly rejoice, is very strong and is in the present tense, actually. And thus, we are to be grateful and greatly rejoicing continually. So, in this, please notice, in this greatly rejoice. In what? Well, the following. Let's back it up just a little bit. In verse 3, it says the following. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's verse 3. Our first blessing is called a living hope. A living hope right there in the middle of verse 3. He has begotten us again to a living hope. In English, we use the word hope to speak of something we want to happen in the future. I hope Brian will pay me back. I loaned him some money. I hope he'll pay me back. It's it's uncertain, right? That word has uncertainty to it. 
I hope Dan will show up. I hope David will show up. So, I don't know. It's the idea of, I hope. Cross your fingers, right? I hope Marty will be there. It has the idea of uncertainty. Since we men or people cannot control events, uncertainty always surrounds any prediction regarding the future, relating to the future. And this uncertainty is conveyed by the word hope. But when we look at scripture, the word hope as applied to the believer, it has all the blessings that are certain and guaranteed that are forthcoming in the future. It's guaranteed for those who are believers in Christ. So please notice the following. Verse 4. Our second blessing is called an inheritance. An inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not what? Does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. So our second blessing is called an inheritance. The first thought with an inheritance is to determine it to determine its content. What am I getting? Am I getting money? Am I getting cars? Am I getting homes? Right? You know, that's the idea of an inheritance. What am I going to collect? But notice this inheritance here, that our spiritual inheritance is not given a description, not given a positive description, but its greatness is underscored by telling us what it is not. It is permanent. It's a word that refers to something in which the deterioration process does not apply. The inheritance is said to be undefiled. It has no spot, no stain. It will not fade away. And in summary, our inheritance knows no termination, no imperfection, and no change. Our third blessing, which we'll see in just a second here, but notice, tied to verse 4, may be called part of a double security. The inheritance is secure, reserved where? Please notice the word here. Where is it reserved? So it's reserved. This inheritance is reserved in heaven for us. The word reserved is in the perfect tense, meaning a completed action with abiding results. And so this is an ongoing possession for us, and it's reserved in heaven for you. It's kept in an ideal place. That ideal place is in heaven. So now our third blessing. So we've got this inheritance. We've got this blessing. We've got this inheritance. And number three. Our third blessing may be, again, called tied to this double security. The the inheritance is kept by the power of God. Who are kept by the power of God through what? Faith for salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. That's verse 5. So it's protected and it's kept by the power of God and the inheritors, you and me, are secure, protected, according to verse 5. The word kept is a military term for a guard. It is also in the present tense and it's referring to a continuous and unbroken action. God's power is the guard. Is the guard. It's ongoing. The guard never rests. This is called eternal security. His guarding power is evidenced through a human response. What's the human response here in verse 5? Through faith. Through faith. So it is through faith. And this shows that eternal security applies to the believers. This keeping power also has a goal. It is for salvation. Note that this salvation is future. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope, verse 3. So, 1 Peter 1.5 is referring to phase 3 salvation, or what we would call glorification. So, we're kept by the power of God. It's kept by the power of God. What is the blessing? The inheritance. Kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What's the last time? Glorification, we take our last breath or the rapture of the church. So now let's tie it together as I'd said prior to opening. 
let's make some observations. Let's tie James' section together. If you lack wisdom and don't know how to count it joy during a trial, ask God in faith and he will answer you without scolding you. Secondly, wisdom refers to the skill of applying truth to everyday life situations. Knowledge perceives truth, but wisdom what? Applies it. So you can have the doctrine, but you have to apply it. In James's text, we have to apply it in faith, not doubting. So wisdom applies the truth. God never says we ask too much. He is generous. God never says we ask too often. God will not reprimand us for asking in faith. The key is to ask in faith. We don't want to vacillate between divine viewpoint and human viewpoint. We stick with divine viewpoint as found in the recorded word of God. So that's some observations from 1 through 4. As far as 1 Peter, our first blessing is called a living hope. The word hope as applied to the believers has all the blessings that are certain and guaranteed, but that lie in the future. In English, we use the word hope to speak of something we want to happen in the future. We cross our fingers and we hope it will happen. But since we cannot control events, uncertainty always surrounds any prediction relating to the future. And this uncertainty is conveyed by the typical use of the word hope. But the biblical hope has all the blessings that are certain and guaranteed, but that lie in the future. So it's an assurance. I'm confident that it will come to pass. We also saw that the second blessing is called an inheritance. Its greatness is underscored by telling us what it is not. It is permanent. It's a word that refers to something which the deterioration process does not apply. The inheritance is further said to be undefiled and it has no spot or stain. It will not fade away. So in summary, our inheritance knows no termination, no imperfection, and no change. It's permanently ours. It doesn't fade. It's not affected by anything here on this earth. And so Peter says, we have something to look forward to. And it's already ours. Kind of like what Jesus said in John 14. I need to leave. In my Father's house are many what? Many mansions. Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. If this were not so, I would have told you. So Peter says... Our trials, the various trials, are temporal, but we have something to look forward. We have this inheritance that's permanent. It doesn't fade. It's something that will be ours in the future, and it's secured by the, the garrison of God himself. Our faith in God will, will lock the salvation in place, and God will guard it till we take our last breath. Our third blessing may be called double security. The inheritance is secure. We saw that it was kept by the power of God. The inheritors are secure. It's protected. Verse 5, the word kept is a military term for a guard. It is also present tense, referring to a continuous and unbroken action. God's power is the protector. This guard never rests. This is called eternal security. His guarding power is evidenced through a human response. It is through faith. This shows that eternal security applies to all of us, the believers. This keeping power also has its goal for salvation. Note that this salvation is future, our hope of verse 3. So we started verse, verse 3 and we ended with verse 6. Eternal security. So let us close in a word of prayer and that will conclude our class for today. Father, thank you once again for allowing us to recognize that you have a purpose and a plan. And so, Father, whether we're looking at James where it's bolstering our patience and endurance 
our trials, that is. Or we can look forward to something that's forthcoming in the future, an inheritance. Father, we, we rejoice in the fact that we truly are graced out. We have every reason to be grateful. These trials are temporal at best. And so even if we should have a trial each and every day till we take our last breath, it is nothing in comparison to what we will receive, where one day we will be face to face with Thee. Trials will no longer be trials. Tears will no longer be tears. And problems will no longer be problems. We'll be absent from the presence of sin. (coughs) So, Father, thank you for the so great a salvation that's ours in Christ. And thank you for all those who are a part of National Capital Bible Church who continue to put you first in their lives, thus encouraging one another, reminding each other that we all go through hardships, but as instructed by your word, we have a reason why we can look forward to the next day. In spite of the challenges that we face on a regular basis, your word reminds us that there's a purpose for them. (coughs) And so we thank you that we have you first and foremost. We have God, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, who provides a peace that surpasses all understanding as we are being led by him not by some nebulous feeling, but by Bible doctrine, your word, as we study it and show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are led by the Spirit of God, thus being empowered as he fills us, and he causes all things to work together for good because we love you or obey you. So I pray now, Father, that if anybody's listening online, that if they don't have a personal relationship with you, that they would take care of that right now before we cease and close out. They can simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shall be saved. And so we thank you, Father, for this opportunity once again to assemble. And we praise you and give you all the glory because only you deserve it. We ask and pray these things through Christ's name. Amen.